Hey guys, my name is Michelle. I'm Doreen. And I'm Kelly. And we're the team behind The Weekly Dosage. Gen Z, Millennials, and Gen Alphas are growing at a rapid rate. Now, that doesn't mean that they're increasing in size or growing taller, gaining more knowledge. It's all more so on how fast these generations are aging. A South Korean study showed that they are one of the fastest aging generations yet. People in the 30s and 40s are living in 60 to 80 year old bodies. They're getting diseases and ailments that 60 to 80 year olds usually get. Compared to boomers and Gen X, Gen Alpha, Millennials, and Gen Z bodies are much older than their actual ages. Overconsumption of technology, mm-hmm. fast food, stress, mm-hmm. and lack of exercising are the main play at fault. More than ever, people are moving their bodies, and we've talked yep. about the importance of exercising. Mm-hmm. You know, we had Multiple that the, um, that the Blue Zone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ikaria, Greece, Okinawa, Japan, things like that, yeah. and how eating healthy, like going out, doing health hobbies just keep your brain kind of moving. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, keeping your brain active and your body active is exactly. important. Exactly. And more than ever, like I said, people are moving their bodies, and it keeps the physical body energetic and acts as fuel to our minds. Another important reason are stress levels. Stress is a big factor in aging the body. White hairs at a young age mm-hmm. is due to stress as it stretch ages our cells in huge numbers. Experts are warning that the problem is now. It is not now. It's in the future. If people in the 30s to 40s are having illnesses that 60 to 80-year-olds usually do, mm-hmm. what is it going to be like in the future? Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, if they're getting those illnesses now, what are they going to get once they're 60 to 80 year, years like, old? What is there left to get? Exactly. Yeah. And which, actually, they're saying that they're going to be getting even more diseases. Mm-hmm. And it's looked like it's very likely this generation in the future will have much more illnesses than we've ever seen before. Our piece of advice is just drink some water, Touch that grass, take your vitamins, and get off that damn phone. Contractions, labor, hospital, you go home. Birth in the United States looks very similar for most people. Like I said, you go to the hospital, you give birth, and you go home with your baby. However, we don't really ever get a glimpse here in the United States of how other countries and other cultures give birth because these techniques are the norm for us. Yeah. Regular Western medicine is just what we're used to. Mm-hmm. So today I will be sharing with you different birthing techniques that Ooh. are found around the world. So our first country or area that we're going to be talking about is Turkey. So what's interesting about their technique is that it's not really with birth itself, but what happens after. So to circulate milk flow in the mother, they drink a special beverage called, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, so... Um, Loshwa Sarbeti, Ushwa Ushwa Sarbeti. So it's a Turkish drink that includes ingredients like cinnamon, clove, nutmeg, pepper, and ginger, which we all know are very good for the body to consume and to drink. So by doing this, it works by providing the mother with enough energy that she lost during labor, of course, and it's meant to stimulate lactation in the mother's body and it's better for the baby right after birth so it gives the mother the strength that she needs to feed her baby right after. turkey doing things right yeah. what can i that's say right. that's, right. that's, that's so like nourishing to that's so helpful and so like warm to think about that like a country cares so much about their mothers and like that cultural practice sounds so nurturing yeah. and warm and like i want to give 
further now. <laughs> like, like we, we talk a lot about this podcast on this podcast about like inequalities that women face in the gay. world in the medical world. <laughs> but a lot of these practices are actually very helpful. So the next one that we're going to be talking about is Japan. So a very common practice in the U.S. is to get an epidural during childbirth. And for those of you that don't know what an epidural is, it's basically an injection of medicine into your epidural space around the spinal cord, which is supposed to block any pain to the lower half of your body during birth. Mm -hmm. So it's not always used in the United States, but it's widely used. And Mm -hmm. it's meant if your labor is too painful, if the pain is almost too great that you're unable to push during labor sometimes you yeah. are given this epidural of course you have to sign a contract because it does cost quite a bit of money yeah. i hear it's close to a thousand dollars for an epidural and in the united states at least oh my and gosh. so it's a choice that a lot of women do eventually have to make in the united states but um in so like i said in the united states 60 to 70 percent of women get this injection during labor but in Japan, only around 9% of women get it, which is a huge difference. Oh, wow. And it's not just because of the price difference. I'm sure there is a price difference. But it's because of different cultural practices in Japan. <coughs> so epidurals are still offered like they are in the United States. So a mother has the option to get one if the labor is too painful, of course. But it's more of a taboo there because they believe in their culture that the bear, like bearing the pain of childbirth is meant to prepare the mother for the strength that she needs for motherhood. Mm. So it's kind of like a, like a symbol of the strength that the mother is going to need when she cares for her baby up until adulthood. So this, it sort of makes sense in my mind if you think about it. Like it's not out there. Like it makes sense that even though, you know, it can never be me, I, if I ever gave birth, the th- the things I've heard, I'm getting an epidural because it, I it's so painful. It's so painful. So for a culture to have this taboo against epidurals, it's crazy to me. It's just crazy because they seem so normalized in my life. Mm-hmm. Like it seems normal to get an epidural, but in there, it's really not. Yeah. Hey, but like kudos to them for being like so strong. And yeah, honestly. and like it cannot be me. That's it cannot impressive. be me. Yeah, like honestly, like them. any woman that is given a natural birth, like it's like wow, salute. Yeah, it's it's absolutely crazy. If you guys don't know the pain of childbirth, I hear it's similar to like a heart attack, even worse. worse. It what worse? worse. Yeah. It's one of the worst pains that you can feel. Like, like if ever, you, if you have, if it's equivalent to I think breaking forty bones, getting kicked in the testicles. I think like over sixty sometimes. Like at its peak, it's it's just awful. Yeah. It's like a mountain of pain. And it can be going on for hours. Yeah. It's not just like in the movies where it's like a one push and the baby plops out. Like that's not what it no. is. It can go on for days. Yeah. Labor can go on for days. Contractions can go on for days. Yeah. And so if you think getting an epidural is like weak. Like, sometimes, if I was in labor for 72 hours... That sounds like a just, nightmare. Just, please. I, I would have already been dead. Like, like, shit, yeah. I, I, I don't even know how some women do it, but that's beyond me. Hey, thank you to my mama for giving birth to me naturally. Uh, we're going to talk about that in just a second. So, next we're going to talk about the Netherlands and Holland. So, I don't know if you guys have heard this, but home births are actually becoming a recent trend in the United States especially. And with numbers increasing like never before. But in the Netherlands and Holland, however, about 20% of all births are done in the home. 
this isn't necessarily due to lack of hospital care or anything like that. It's, again, just a cultural birthing method that these people do. So it's exceptionally high compared to all other European countries, which, again, prefer the Western standardization of hospital births. And like Michelle said, she was apparently, I didn't know, but she was born naturally. It's perfectly natural, safe if you do it correctly. If you experience complications, please go to a hospital if you can, because complications and childbirth, like deaths, happen so often in places where medical care isn't that accessible. So, just a warning home births, good, but get like a midwife. That's what Netherlands Call and Holland do. Yeah, whatever. Many women in the Netherlands only see a midwife for their childbirth needs, and usually there they only see an OBGYN for birth complications, like I was talking about. So the doctors, like medically trained doctors, aren't used as much, but they're used in emergency situations. So the next country is Finland, which is kind of close to the Netherlands and in Europe. But this is not so much medically related, but I still find it very interesting, an interesting practice. So the government there actually sends out, after every birth, a starter kit for the mother and the baby to have. Oh my god! This includes, yeah, it includes things like diapers, a crib, and a first aid kit, and other things like that. For free. Well, okay, Finland has resources to be able to do this because... It's a rich country. Yeah. And on top of that, they don't have as many people in the United States. And on top of that, like, all of their people are, like, the nicest people on Earth. Like, they... they, they Finland is the happiest... Statistically, it's the happiest place on Earth. Like, and everyone... I mean, everyone would be... They wouldn't... Like, the difference between America and Finland is... In America, you'd have people being against this rule. Mm -hmm. Or in Finland, I feel like majority of people would kind of side this way to yes. And especially, like, in Scotland as well, they have, like, free period products so like yeah a similar northern country so like the, having... the government does give out these kits but i hear that women can take a cash version as well so every woman that gives oh. birth and it goes to the woman it does not go to her husband it goes to the mother of the child which you know sure it doesn't go to the man owning her wait sorry <laughs> yeah it doesn't it goes to the woman good and it goes to her baby and most women do accept this instead of the cash mm-hmm. how much um the I believe the cash is less, like, the actual products themselves put together is more than the actual cash settlement. I don't know exactly how much it costs, but, like, a crib, diapers, those things are expensive. Are. It adds up. Especially diapers. You would not yeah. expect this because it's, like, a portable toilet, and then you have to change it every six-some hours. Like, that's expensive. Yeah. That adds up. Yeah. So this was originally meant for low-income parents, but it's been kept throughout the years because Finland actually has one of the lowest rates of infant mortality in the world. And this could be due to these government gifts provided by provided by the government to these mothers, mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting. And maybe, you know, if you have if your country has the resources, you should be taking notes because Finland like almost no babies are dying and it's be- a lot of it is because of this money given to mothers and to their babies. Okay, I'm probably going to pronounce this wrong, but the Comanche Native American tribe is another very interesting example of different birthing techniques. So they practice standing or squatting Ooh. during childbirth, which is, a very, which is a very important ritual, not only for this tribe, but for many other Native American groups. So when the baby is first delivered, or when the baby is delivered, it was reported that it would, like, the baby just, like, falls out. 
the mother is still like pushing and everything like that but the baby essentially uses gravity like michelle yeah. was saying to fall onto a pile of leaves that oh, was placed below okay. and doing this they also hoped that to give the baby like their first sense of strength by having them fall onto the pile of leaves yeah Darian. oh you can finish i just have one no yeah oh, okay with the squatting mm-hmm. to actually uh, push out the baby that's how we actually was a long time ago in the past um i don't remember like what time period but i remember how uh like women would actually like they would like sit and it would like squat to give birth and it would it, it helped like especially for back pain mm-hmm. and then and some weird, sick, perverted king was like, like he he didn't like it for some reason. He wanted to watch it. Yes, he wanted to watch like women on their back because it was just more sexually attractive or something. Yeah, in Western culture, especially in the United States, it's more common to have women lie on their back. But some uh, um, doctors and practices do still have this um, like this method of birthing because it's supposed to open up the birthing canal more at a better angle and allow the baby to come up more freely and i'm not i'm not trying to like compare ourselves to animals but if you think about it like this way like animals they also birth that way that way as well like they birth standing up i mean dogs don't lay down or i mean sometimes they do but most of the time it's because it's what's most best for the animal Mm -hmm. and we ourselves are derived from you know animals we we at the core are animals and you know it's what worked through evolution and it's what helped you know it's it's what worked and you know we, we i mean we can't like we can't keep using an excuse of that one perverted king to keep you know yeah birthing on our backs yeah so especially so when europeans came to the americas obviously they witnessed this cultural practice that was taking place and many of them often wrote down that the mother was the birth was painless for the mother obviously this is not true we cannot trust the europeans obviously that came to mm-hmm. the americas but if this is some tr- some of it's true like Darreen was talking about the back pain yep. like it it's it's a definitely a better technique i'm not saying better for everybody but for in some cases it is less pa- painful for the mother which again is a huge concern with epidurals having to get epidurals and it could lead to a better technique if this was studied more So our next area is going to be China, and not just China, but other places around the world. So a very common practice that maybe some of you know about is eating placenta, or otherwise called um, placentography. So that's the practice of eating your placenta. I'm sure most people know what placenta is, but if you don't, it's basically an organ that develops inside the uterus during pregnancy, and it gets birthed, in a sense, along with the child. Mm. So in the U.S., it is not very common for women to eat their placenta. Or, yeah, celebrities sometimes do it, but it's not common to eat it or even keep it. Some women keep it, but it's not a very common practice here. But this isn't the case for the rest of the world. So this practice was originally started in China, but it's moved again throughout the rest of the world through trade and just globalization. So placenta is known to be rich in nutrients, And in many cultures, like the Chinese, they believe that placenta can prevent postpartum depression, reduce postpartum bleeding, improve mood, energy, and milk lactation, and also provide important micronutrients such as iron to the new mothers. 
But if this is something you're thinking of doing or if you heard of this, just know that many studies have been done in recent years that show that placenta can actually be harmful to the baby and also to the mother. So many doctors in the Western world and researchers have done studies saying that eating placenta can actually cause an increase in vaginal bleeding and cause digestive issues post-birth, which can be very harmful to the mother and to the baby if the mother is unable to um, produce milk and other things like that for the baby. So these are just some of the side effects, but again, they only happen to some people like Kim Kardashian. I don't believe she experienced any bad side effects. And again, she she turned it into a pill. So she turned she went to a pharmacist, a really like rich Hollywood one, and she asked her her um what's it called? Her placenta to be dried, pulverized, and turned into pill form. Because let's be honest, no 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 celebrity is gonna want to eat that thing raw, like cook yeah. it like a steak. Especially like Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Like. So she needed to <laughs> no be way. elegant about it. So she had it in pill form, which mm-hmm. again could have also changed the toxicity of yeah. if there is some to the placenta. Of course. So if this is something that you're interested in doing one day or if it's part of your cultural tradition, I'm not trying to stop you. Just know the medical risks before you proceed and know the medical risks in childbirth in general because there's so many of them and just stay safe. It's cold. It's it's disgustingly cold outside. When this episode released, it will still be cold. It will always be cold and it feels like it's going to be cold forever. If you feel any of this time, if you, if you look outside of the darkening sky at 4 o'clock in the afternoon and think, wow, this is sad. Well, it's true because it is sad and... Well, you alongside me and sixteen five zero 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 other people are in the same boat. <laughs> That's a very medical <laughs> term. Zero zero zero. So this seasonal depression actually does exist and it has a very uh, it's actually characterized as a disorder seasonal affective disorder also characterized as sad sad ironic I know is oh. a real. ironic i know is a real thing that has been classified as a real disorder affecting five percent of americans for 40 percent of the year sad includes feeling fatigued depressed hopeless and socially withdrawn due to the changing seasons light in the sky or just changing weather i mean if you live where i live i mean that's all the time every time of the day you just go outside and it feels like you're gonna get frostbitten it's just so gray outside and it's we're all we're all seasonally depressed but how can we combat sad though a lot of people just say stop being sad Obviously, toughen up, toughen up. But seasonal act stop being hysterical. But seasonal affective disorder is so much more than that. So fear not. Here are some helpful tips to combat this disorder. And really quickly, I just want to preface this by saying that seasonal affective disorder. A lot of people feel sadness in the winter, but seasonal affective disorder is an actual disorder that leads to real symptoms. Like mm-hmm. you're actually depressed and you're actually feeling hopeless. And if you do feel any of these symptoms, the first thing that you should do is consult a doctor mm-hmm. and not like you know turn off the podcast and listen to your doctor first. <laughs> like these are just if you're having those mild seasonal depression symptoms. But for those of us like me included who just look outside of the darkening skies at three o'clock in the afternoon and think to themselves why do i still live here well don't worry about it and maybe tell kelly to turn off her alarm before i'm so sorry i'm so sorry (laughs) but anyways here are some helpful tips to to combating these feelings first try a light box so this is exposure to artificial light that will help help keep one's circadian rhythm on track and it helps mimic the sunshine to our bodies and these boxes are far more bright than your average light bulb and they come in a variety of colors second of all a dawn simulator they have a similar function to light boxes, but they serve as an alarm clock that gradually lights up instead of using sound to wake you up. These also mimic the sunlight, and instead of waking up to the cold, dark, deathly outdoors, you can wake up to your own personal sun. 
Three, personalizing, prioritizing social activities. The worst way to combat sad is by holding yourself up all lonesome and crying away the depression. Being with other people is proven to combat some of those feelings of loneliness or mild to moderate sadness. Also, they can help change your mind about the winter or fall and be a good source to talk to. The worst thing is to be alone and don't be alone. You always have someone out there. Even if it's your mom, go talk to her. She misses you. (laughs) Finally... Letting the sunshine in. This might be the most effective out of all of the solutions presented above. And it's by far the healthiest. Our skin needs vitamin D from the sun. And the sun through a window is during those especially despicable, ugly, cold days feels great on our skin. Me personally, I love just sitting by the window and absorbing the sun. Oh, you sit in that chair and you just... I'm a Leah for a reason. So, of course, I love the sun. I don't... Okay. Um. Well, anyways. Um, the horoscopes. Oh, we should do an episode about horoscopes. Anyways... <laughs> In the future, uh, just letting you know, it is so nice to just sit by the sun by a window because it's so cold outside. And it's just nice to get that sunlight on your skin and your clothes and your so hair. It does too. feel so good. Yeah. And even better it is, is to go outside and take a walk. If the weather permits and it's not going to nip your nose off, go outside. And also another thing is you, if you plan on using this me- method, make sure you keep all the blinds open as much as possible when the sun is out. Obviously, when the sun is not out, close them. You don't want the seasonal depression affecting you. Turn on your light box. Make it feel like the sun's still with you. So lastly, out of all of these, I would most recommend the sunshine because it doesn't require you having to buy anything. But again, if a light box and a dawn simulator does sound um, effective or appealing to you, you should also give those a try. As always, thank you guys for listening to The Weekly Dosage. This concludes our episode. And stay alert for our next episode coming out in a couple weeks. Thank you. That's all for now. Stay tuned and remember... Take those vitamins, drink that water, touch that grass, and most importantly, don't forget your your weekly weekly dosage. dosage.